want us to be, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Drave, for leading us in that and in singing, too. That's okay. That, that is a pretty good part of getting together. <laughs> but to be led in uh, communion, a regular experience for those of us who are regularly part of church, but uh, a pretty significant thing. Jesus tells his uh, followers, us, we gather around his table because we're family. We're family and we experience a family meal together around the table. That's a significant truth that we're going to, we started talking about last Sunday, we're going to continue to look at together this morning. So I'm very glad that you're here to, to do that together with us. Uh, if you looked at Jerry's new fancy uh, bulletin, you may have noticed that I titled the sermon this morning, Stop Going to Church, which is an admittedly curious title for a Sunday morning sermon in a church, uh, especially this time of year in the Pacific Northwest, uh, where the calendar's recently turned over to April, that means we're in the spring, which means it's winter one day and summer the next, but... It does mean we're starting to get some tastes of summer, and uh, Pacific Northwesterners are notorious for not needing any extra encouragement to stop going to church when the sun comes out. So what in the world are we doing? Well, clearly it's the language there that I'm really trying to call our attention to, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Stop going to church. You think about that language, going somewhere. Where do you go? We, we go lots of places uh, as people. We use that language when it comes to like our, our health and fitness clubs. I go to Villa Sport, or I go to 24-hour fitness, right? We use that kind of language when it comes to health care providers. Who's your doctor? Well, I go to Dr. So-and-so over on the corner there. We use that kind of language with our grocery stores. We use that kind of language with our schools. I go to Glencoe High School. I go to Portland State University. You see, we go lots of places as people, and usually by that we mean it's a, a place that we regularly uh, go to over and over again. We patronize over and over again to receive certain goods and services that we need. But we don't use the language of going somewhere with everything in life. For example, the subject we've been talking about this last couple of Sundays, the subject of family. It would be really weird to use the language of where, where we go when it comes to our family. Like, I would be a little weirded out if my kids said, well, you know, when it comes to my need for parenting and for food, I go to Matt and Amy Greeno. That's where I go. And I don't know where you go, but that's where I go. At least that's where I go this month until they kind of hack me off. And then maybe next month I'll go to somebody else's house for the parenting needs I have. I mean, obviously that, would, that doesn't make any sense. That wouldn't work. Uh, the language is just too weak. Uh, family isn't something you just go to, even regularly. Family, ideally, is somewhere you belong. That's probably better language. It's somewhere you belong. It's somewhere you're connected. It's, it's a larger reality that you're a part of, and there's a place for you there. Now, here's the question in bringing all this up. The question is, which category does church fit into? Does it fit into the category of places we happen to go regularly to receive certain goods and services? Or does it fit into this family category of belonging? 
While you're thinking about that, slightly different question. How would God answer that question? We open up the Bible, if he's using modern 21st century lingo, would he say church is somewhere he wants his people to go, or is church somewhere he sees his people more permanently belonging? You see, last week we looked at the amazing reality. We spent a significant amount of time last Sunday morning dwelling on the amazing reality of our adoption into God's family. Coming out of Easter Sunday and the proclamation of the gospel, what Jesus did for us, last Sunday we started looking at what the Bible says we do in response and in giving our lives over to God in response to the gospel and and acknowledging him as our Lord and our Savior, we saw this amazing reality that he does not just make us uh, sin, uh, cleanse our sin. He does not just make us from guilty to innocent in saving us, although he does that. He doesn't just make us his servants, since he is the universe's king and we are his servants, although he does that too. And he doesn't even just make us worshipers of himself, although he certainly does make us his worshipers. But we looked at the amazing reality last week that God also makes us his sons and his daughters. And the Bible is full of language, the language of family in a way that even angels themselves are not. God, in saving us, develops a relationship with us that the Bible says in many ways is akin to a parent-child relationship. It's an intimate connection. It's a personal connection, and it is breathtakingly beautiful. But while this promise of being God's family and experiencing God's family will be fully realized one day in the future when we are face-to-face with God for all eternity. And and now we sort of anticipate that. We look forward to that. That's what we just did in receiving communion. It's a symbol, a reminder of that future time when we will literally be for all eternity around God's table as members of his family, experiencing all the joys of that forever because of who Christ is and our response to it. While that is yet coming in the future and we anticipate it, It is also a reality that God intends every one of us as Christians to begin experiencing right here and right now. The reality of being part of his family. Even in a sin-cursed, broken world, God gives us, as it were, a down payment on this family experience. And we see this in the language that the Bible uses over and over again to describe churches. Um, I mentioned last week that this uh, short series of sermons that we're doing, we've titled Welcome Home. It's a little bit different than the way we normally preach at Harvest. Uh, We're always expositional in our preaching, which means we just unfold what the Bible says, and that becomes our main point. Usually that means we start with a passage of Scripture, and we work our way all the way through it, but occasionally we will do sermons on a specific topic and grab passages from all over the Bible to see what the Bible says about that topic. That's what we're doing this morning. We're going to look at uh, a few different places in our time together this morning to see what the Bible says about how the church is a family. We're going to begin in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up there. We'll be in a couple other spots as well. Romans, chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me uh, mention, or if you're familiar with the book of Romans, remind you 
that up until this point in the book, the Apostle Paul, who's been writing this book, has been explaining some of the great realities of our salvation. Sort of like we looked at last week. One of those great realities is adoption. God adopts us as his sons and daughters, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And now here, starting in chapter 12, he shifts and he, he begins applying those truths to our daily experience in this world as Christians. He's writing this letter to a church congregation much like ours. Here's what he says, Romans chapter 12. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, or parts of our body, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, a church congregation, Though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That's worth sitting and thinking about really deeply because that is incredibly significant. Clearly, the people who made up this congregation in the ancient city of Rome were not just strangers who happened to attend services at the same religious institution. They weren't just going to church in that sense. Not in God's eyes, at least. Rather, according to God, they're connected to one another because of their connection to Him. In fact, they are so connected to one another that the Bible says they are like parts of a larger whole. In the same way that my fingers are connected to my hand, which is connected to my arm, which is connected to my shoulder, and they're all parts of this one body that I have that is interconnected. God says that's a picture of how he sees a church congregation. God doesn't just save individuals and bring them into relationship with himself. Although he does that. But God saves a people and he brings us into relationship with himself. And consequently, that automatically puts us in relationship with one another. Because you see, when you have daughters and sons of the same dad, that makes them brothers and sisters of one another. The relationship to the father defines a relationship that we now have with one another. And many times, in fact, God calls members of local churches brothers there are probably a couple of dozen scripture passages I could just throw up on the screen now, and I won't do it. But if you want an interesting study sometime, just look up the word brothers in the back of most of your Bibles. They have what's called a concordance. Look up the word brothers and look at the number of passages of scripture that use that word to describe a local congregation. One of them is right here in our passage. If you're in Romans chapter 12, drop down to verse 9 and 10. He says, again, to this church, instructions on how they are to live together, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and cling fast to what is good. Look at verse 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. You see what he's telling them? He's not just saying attend to church together. He's not even just saying, be kind, be respectful, be nice to one another. You know what he's saying? Learn to like each other. Like seriously, learn to have, that's what affection means. I care about you. He says you, you begin to experience an emotional investment in the people around you in your church if you're a Christian. And it's a, an affection. It's a love. And it's not at all romantic. He says it's like a brotherly affection that you care about one another the way you care about brothers 
and sisters. Why? Because we're family. We're family. And here's the bottom line of where all this is driving at. If we had more time, I could go to passage after passage after passage of Scripture this morning. But just showing you these couple of examples kind of gives us a glimpse at the picture, one of the pictures the Bible is painting of a local church. And it's simply this. A local church, friends, is a precious means of God's grace in our lives. It is a precious means of grace in our lives. A local church is is a place that God gives us to begin experiencing a reality that he's already created, and that is that we are family. Again, we saw that last Sunday. Jesus created the reality that we are family. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death and his resurrection, you and I can be adopted by God as his sons and daughters, making us brothers and sisters. That's already done. It's already true. That's what Jesus accomplished. You and I had nothing to do with it. But in a church, it becomes very clear. God says, I don't want you to just believe that you're family as an idea. I'm going to give you a place to begin experiencing the joy of being God's family even now because you're going to gather with other brothers and sisters and live and do life together. So the church is a treasured blessing in our lives because in it we get to experience some of the goodness Jesus has already earned for us. The joys of heaven are not only in our future, though they are mostly there, but God gives us a down payment, as it were, of his grace. And part of that down payment is this church to experience the joy of family. One of the ways I sort of picture this is through a river because I fish a lot, rivers make a lot of sense to me, so bear with me here for a moment, okay? It's as if a church congregation and the experience of a Christian is like a river. God's created this beautiful river, and it flows somewhere. It's flowing, and it will carry us closer and closer to the, the full experience of being his family. We will not have that experience in total totality until we get to eternity, but he's given us that experience to experience more and more of it now. That's what the church is for. But of course, if you approach a river, you don't necessarily have to get in it. You can say, don't like water, don't like to swim, rivers aren't my thing, I'm out of here. I'm going to go camp up in the hills. And of course, to push this analogy a little bit, that's what a lot of people do, especially in our country these days. A lot of people who say, identify themselves as Christians, uh, they say they believe in God, perhaps they even say they love Jesus, but they want nothing to do with his church. I'm not interested in that. Not my thing. Now, you can walk away from a river, but you could also kind of hang out and sort of uh, hang out on the banks and play in the river. Dip your feet in the water on a hot summer day. It's really nice. Get in there and splash around a little bit. Maybe cast a line in there, catch a fish every now and then. There's a lot of fun you can have in a river without ever actually going anywhere. Sort of just hang out on the periphery of it. A lot of Christians do this as well. We'll... We're tempted to dabble in church. I think we all are if we're really honest with ourselves. We'll dabble in church to the extent that it is convenient and or comfortable. But when it becomes neither of those things, we want to pull out and go do whatever else is calling our attention. But here's the point of the analogy. It's only those who dive into the full current that actually get carried away by the river to where God is taking us. God intends our church experience to go somewhere, to be among other things, an experience, an initial experience of the family that he's already created. 
And by the way, fully jumping into the river at the end of the day, whether or not we do that isn't really an option for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Why not? Simply for this reason. Because becoming a Christian means that we serve Jesus as king and we love him as our God. Serving Jesus as king means I give my life over to Jesus. My life is his. It is for his purposes. It is to be used to accomplish what he is trying to accomplish in the world. So what is Jesus trying to accomplish in the world? Not a trick question. What is Jesus doing in the world right now? He is building his church. He is building his church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. When Peter says to him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says to him, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He is redeeming people who were once rebels, and he is saving them, and by saving them, he is integrating them into his body. If you want to know what Jesus is up to in the world, it is building his church, both numerically and in depth of maturity. That's what he's passionate about. He didn't die to accomplish a political agenda. He didn't die to start a bunch of parachurch ministries. Jesus shed his blood. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. But what Jesus shed his blood for is his church. That's what he's doing. So as a Christian, if my life belongs to Jesus, then my life is about what he's about, and he's about building his church. What's more, we learn to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves his church. Many of you know that God also uses marriage as an analogy of his own relationship with the church. Let me read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says to Christian husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. The her is us. The her is people who are saved by grace and gathered together as local churches so that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in all of its splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she would be holy and without blemish. The image is of a groom seeing his bride in her radiant white dress on their wedding day, and he's captivated. He is in love. That is Jesus' attitude, his disposition toward his church. Jesus loves the church. And so if I love Jesus, I love what Jesus loves. So if church is a gift that God has given us to begin experiencing the reality of family that he's already created, then what does it mean to jump into the river? What does that actually look like? I want to suggest it entails at least two things. We're going to talk about one of them with the remainder of our time this morning and the other one for the next couple Sundays. The first thing that that jumping in the river means is making a formal commitment to a local church. We usually call that membership, okay? We'll talk about that in a second. The second thing it means is living out the formal commitment of church membership with one another, and we're going to explore that more depth over the next couple of Sundays. Formal commitment and then living out that commitment. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning on this idea of making a formal commitment 
to a local church because a whole lot of people in our day and age don't understand why that's necessary or see it as valuable. And some people actually see it as potentially um, damaging and something that's possibly not good to actually make a formal commitment to a church. What's the point of that? In fact, as a pastor who's been in uh, full-time pastoral ministry for many, many years, I've been asked repeatedly by numbers of different people in numbers of different ways, what is the big deal about church membership? Why is that actually even important? Why is it something that should matter? If I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm participating in church, isn't that enough? Let me suggest there's a lot of answers to that, but for the sake of time, I'm going to boil it down to what I think are the two most important answers, and these are the two I most regularly give to people who ask that question. First, Making a formal commitment to a church is vital to experiencing the kind of family that God wants us to experience in churches because intimacy precede, or sorry, commitment precedes intimacy. This is just the reality of relationships. Commitment comes first, and then you can actually experience a deep and meaningful relationship with someone. You know, marriage vows are a great example of this. In a marriage vow, my wife and I had been married for 21 years, so 21 years ago, I made a vow to her. Among other things, I said, I'm sticking with you till, till death do us part, you know. I'm not going to go chase after anybody else, physically, emotionally, or in any other way. Like, I'm, I'm yours, and I made that commitment. And when you make a commitment to somebody like that, what it does is it, it kind of creates walls around the relationship and around the two people in this case. And those walls are walls of protection. There's, there's a safety now, as long as my wife trusts me that I'm still honoring that commitment, that commitment creates a safety where you see now we don't have to have our guard up with respect to one another. Like, I don't know if I can trust you because I'm afraid you'll hurt me someday. Well, when I make the commitment, it's like, okay, okay, the fear I have that some pain is going to come in is being kept out by that commitment. So now I can lower my guard and now you can see my heart. Now I can trust you. Now I can let you in. And now our relationship can go deep. And you know what? In the same way, if we're in a church and like we're in a small group together or something, we're in a Bible study group, and I've got something serious going on in my life, I'm wrestling with something, maybe it's a sin in my life, it's a little bit personal, I feel like I, I need a couple of brothers around me to walk me through it. I probably won't tell you about it if I think there's a decent chance you're going to take off at any moment. You see, if you're only here because, you know, you like the band or the children's program is great for your family or whatever, then the minute you decide you don't like the music or you don't like the children's program, you may just go down the street to the next church or around. There's a lot of churches to choose from. And so if I'm, if I'm wondering, whether consciously or even subconsciously, if I'm wondering how committed you are to this relationship, then I'm not going to open up to you. That's just too threatening. And so you see it inhibits real relationship. But if I believe you're committed to helping other Christians like me over the long haul, then I'm much more likely to trust you by being real. Look, guys, I know that as I stand up here and I talk about this wonderful experience of real family in churches, a lot of us who have been in churches for a long time are going, that sounds nice, but I don't know what you're talking about. I've been involved in churches before, maybe for years and years and years. I've never experienced relationships like that. In fact, some of us have experienced totally the opposite. Church relationships are dangerous and they're frustrating. 
But you know what? Part of the reason, there's probably a lot of reasons, but I think part of the reason that the experience of family that God wants doesn't happen a lot of times in churches, one of the reasons that that's true is precisely because formal membership commitments are either non-existent in those churches, we don't commit, we just say forget about it, or they're done really, really poorly. You know, you join a church, it's a name on a roll, it's a checkbox in the church database, and like, who cares? It doesn't matter. In which case, it's not serving its purpose. And because of that, a lot of churches have, over the last 20 or 30 years, stopped even having formal membership. But of course, the problem, the, the, the solution to bad commitment is not no commitment. The solution to bad commitment is good commitment. You see, Commitment precedes intimacy. That's one reason. The other reason, or another major reason, that church membership is so important is that commitment changes the one who makes the commitment. If I make a commitment, it begins to change me, which means that formal commitment to a local church is actually an important part of my own personal spiritual growth. What I'm driving at here is that church membership helps me deny my natural inclination to, you know, sort of slack a little bit on my connections with other people or my involvement in church, or even to change churches at a whim whenever my circumstances change, or whenever the sun comes out, or whenever a new and better church starts down the road. The formal commitment helps push me in the direction of being a promise keeper, it pushes me in the direction of being more faithful to my word than I am by my own nature. It's a means of God's grace in my life. Now, I get that this is totally countercultural. Totally countercultural. As Americans, we like to have the freedom of no strings attached. We love the freedom of choice, the feeling like we can make a change at any time should we decide that's in our best interest. But you see, we don't grow that way. We don't grow that way, and as a result, it doesn't lead to satisfying relationships. Think of it this way. It's sort of like going to the gym. You know, if you exercise, you go to the gym, you sit down on the weight machines, and, you know, after you get the thing all set to your, you know, height and how long your legs are, arms are, whatever, like the first thing, you, last thing you do before you start working out is you reach over and you pull that little pin out, Right? and you stick it underneath some of those weight plates, depending on how the machine is set up, to, to the right weight. And then you start working out. You see, you voluntarily put resistance against your motion. That's the whole point, right? When we voluntarily submit to the counter-resistance to our motion, that's when we grow stronger. And going to church, even on a regular basis, without formal commitment, is a little bit like going to the gym all the time and sitting down on the machine and adjusting everything and then pulling that pin out and dropping it on the floor. And then like, man, I'm on fire today. Sets a 25, top that. This is great, doing my butterflies, right? I mean, I'm just, you know, rowing. Ooh, this is awesome. I'm not even breaking a sweat. Probably not going to get much benefit out of it either, Right? You see, commitment changes us. And that's why it's so critical. Much more could be said, but I think that gets at the heart of why church membership is important. And what I want to do now is spend a few minutes talking about something that I realize in almost a decade here at Harvest, I've, I've had a conversation with many, many individuals 
over and over and over again. And it just occurred to me this week, we've never mentioned any of this publicly from the pulpit. And that is simply this, addressing the question of what kind of a church should I join if I'm a Christian? And are there any reasons you should ever unjoin a church? Why should I leave a church? So I want to give a little bit of time to that. Let's get very practical here on this idea of church membership. And I want to suggest this morning three reasons, uh, three things you should look for when you're joining a church. There's probably more. This is not a complete list, but we don't have hours and hours here. So I want to give you what I think are the, the three most important things to look for. If you're a Christian and you're saying, okay, maybe I'm convinced God wants me to join a church, fine. What kind of a church do I join? How do I figure that out? Especially if you're new to the area, you're new in a town, how do you even figure, you don't know anything about the churches, how do you even figure it out? I want to suggest three core things to look for. Three, what I think are the most important. First, you want to look for a church that is biblically faithful. Biblically faithful, which is going to mean some things. It's going to mean they have good, solid doctrinal statements. Solid meaning it's grounded in the Bible. It's going to mean the church is gospel-centered because the Bible is gospel-centered. The gospel is the whole point of the Bible. So if you're focused on the Bible, you will be centered on the gospel. And it also means that the preaching and the teaching ministry will be what we say expository. That's just a fancy way of saying that we don't um, make the Bible answer all our own personal questions. We come to the Bible and let God set the agenda and we seek to understand what he's telling us. Now, how do you figure all of that out? When you're new to an area, you don't know anything about a church, how can you tell? Well, there's not a lot of shortcuts. It takes time. But fortunately, in our modern technological age, you can speed the process up a little bit. And so let me just mention one website to you. It's up there on the screen, www.churches.thegospelcoalition.org. What this is is a website of a group called the Gospel Coalition, and this address will take you straight to what they call their church directory. It's a list of churches all over the world, uh, a huge portion of those are here in the United States, that subscribe to the core elements of what the Gospel Coalition is. And I won't take the time right now in the pulpit to explain all of what that means, although if you have questions about it afterwards, I'd be delighted to have that conversation with you. Just for the sake of time, let me simply say this. The Gospel Coalition, in order to join their church director, you have to subscribe to a very solid biblical doctrinal statement and also commit as a church to being gospel-centered in how you do ministry, including some of these things that I have listed on the screen. So the bottom line is, just because a church is listed in the Gospel Coalition church directory doesn't automatically make it a good church. You're still going to have to do some digging. But the fact that a church would voluntarily register itself on the Gospel Coalition Church Directory says a lot about the kind of church they aspire to be, and it says some good things. So start there. You want a church that's biblically faithful. Secondly, you want a church with godly leaders. You're looking for a church with godly leaders. And by the way, let me just note here that most of the um, qualifications for church leaders in the Bible, primarily in the books of 1 Timothy and Titus, are character qualifications. They have very little to do with education or with skill or with what the vision of the church is or some of these other things or what programs they run. They have to do with humility, a passion to, to be sold out for Christ and a willingness to, to, to learn and to teach and to be humble. Look for elder, uh, uh, biblically qualified church leaders. That takes some time. You've got to ask some questions. Thirdly and finally, look for a church that has communities that foster deep relationships. 
a church that spends a good amount of its resources and its effort and its energy to break large groups of people like this one right here, to break them down into smaller groups of people and enhance and encourage relationships that can go deep and be real. A lot of churches do that through small group ministries. We do that as well, and there are many other ways. But if a church puts a priority on that, that's a good sign because we need one another. Now, there's more, but again, I think these are the core things, and here's why I put these as core things, guys, because this is the stuff that will sustain your soul as a Christian. These are the kinds of experiences that will help you grow in your faith and make you a deeper and more committed and more passionate for Jesus Christian. Not things like how big the church is or how small it is, what kind of music it plays, whether or not they have a, a, a youth or children's program that your kids think is like Disneyland, or whatever other issues we sometimes bring to the table. Remember, here's the bottom line in this. If you're a Christian, you're looking for a church to join, you are not looking for a church that is perfectly tailored to you and your family. You are looking for a church that will more perfectly tailor you and your family to Jesus. Do you see the difference? You're not looking for a church that fits you. You're looking for a church that will help you fit Jesus Christ and be conformed to his image. And this is how churches do that. And let me just mention that I know for many of us who have had very difficult church experiences before. All this, you've been very patient to listen to me so far, but all this talk of being in family and churches or joining churches can be really threatening. If you've been part of a church before, but you feel like people betrayed your trust or church leaders betrayed trust, that kind of pain is very real. And when we get hurt by people, the natural human reaction is, is protection, right? Just the defenses go up, and we, we, we seek to protect ourselves. That's normal. That's human. And I get that. Unfortunately, you're at a church here where we believe passionately in the importance of being deeply connected to one another, but there's also tons of grace here, okay? This is an environment where there's lots of room, especially if you've been hurt, and emotionally you need to do some healing. There's a lot of freedom to do that here at Harvest. But having said that, let me also encourage you along the lines of what we're saying this morning, that commitment precedes intimacy. And what that means is that that self-protection reflex, which is so human and so natural and so understandable, but if we let it define our lives over time, it will isolate us off in a corner and we will shrivel up and we will die lonely in the midst of a sea of people. And that's a tragedy I don't want you to experience. It's risky to start trusting people again. But you know, to risk is to love. To risk is to love and to be loved. Without the risk of opening myself up to people, I can't love them or be loved by them. So it pays to take the time to find another trustworthy place, but eventually to begin pursuing God's family again, if you're part of it, in the context of a local church. If any of you want to talk more about that, our elders and our pastors would be delighted to grab a cup of coffee with you. I mentioned three reasons potentially to join a church. What about leaving a church? Are there any good reasons to ever leave a church? And the answer to that is also yes. Again, probably several. This won't be a complete list, but here's three of, I think, the most important reasons. If you're part of a church and you're a Christian, you should probably leave it. First would be as if God calls you to another gospel work. 
like there's a church plant happening in town, a new church is being started, or a significant church revitalization effort that you really feel called to leave your current church, which means you're going to go join another one. That's a great reason to leave. 30 years ago, there was a large group of people that left Beaverton, uh, left um, in a Village Baptist Church in Beaverton and came here to start Harvest Community Church with the blessings of Village Baptist and the Conservative Baptist Association. That was a great reason to leave. Having said that, I have seen hundreds of people leave dozens of churches in my years of pastoral ministry. In my experience, this reason is very rare. It's very rare. It does happen, though. Uh, We just had a family last year who did this when we sent Daryl and Faith Schneider over to Selwood Baptist Church, a a sister church of ours where a very difficult and significant revitalization effort is underway. They felt called to be part of it. For them, the safe and comfortable thing would have been to stay here, but they stepped out in faith and we blessed them. That's a great reason to leave a church to go help with another one. Secondly, if there are clear violations of major doctrine, clear violations of major doctrines, doesn't mean everybody in church has to agree on every little thing. But when it comes to the important things, you know, when your church starts teaching open theism and begins suggesting, for example, that God is not really omniscient, he doesn't really know everything, and he's not really in control, that's a big red flag. You need to start running for the hills. There's churches that are doing that nowadays. Good intentions, bad theology, okay? Or when there's a focus on superficial things rather than the gospel. Like if the whole core value is putting on a show or just increasing attendance or being cool instead of really focusing on the gospel of the kingdom. And you can tell that's a core value. It's not going to change. That may be a sign. One more. If you're in a church with arrogant or self-serving church leaders, this could become a problem. Now, notice what I'm not saying, and then I'll say what I am saying. I'm not saying if you're in a church with church leaders that have different ideas with you or than you or church leaders who disagree with you because I got news as somebody who's been a church leader for a long time, church leaders don't even always agree with one another. That's the joy of having a plurality of elders. Like we don't all think the same. <laughs> That's not necessarily a sign that there's anything wrong. You don't want leaders that are always going to do what you think they should do because that's to presume too much on our own wisdom. But you do want leaders who are not arrogant and who are not in it for themselves rather than the gospel of Jesus. You see, here's the bottom line. If I'm convinced as a Christian, after, after a lengthy consideration and a lengthy experience, that the leaders of my church are simply not qualified as elders according to the standards in the Bible. Remember, those are character qualifications. If I'm convinced they're not qualified, then I really can't submit to them and their leadership as a Christian. Not in my heart. I mean, I can conform my behavior for a while, but inside, I don't trust these guys. And since God calls every Christian to be in submission to the leadership of a godly group of elders, then at that point, I probably need to go find a group of elders at a church that I can trust and I can submit myself to. Much more could be said. But notice a couple things that are not on this list. Um, What if I have questions or concerns or disagreements about some things happening in a church, but I just don't like causing trouble. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to be seen as a complainer, so I'm not going to tell anybody what my concerns are. I'm just going to pull my family out, and we're just going to quietly leave. I mean, after all, you've got lots of other options. You can leave here and go to a lot of other really dynamic, cool churches in our area. You can head over to Sunrise or Sunset. We've got both spectrums, both horizons covered. (laughs) Right here in Hillsboro. It's awesome. 
You can head over to Calvary Chapel and see my friend Rich. You can head over to Abundant Life or New Life. We got all kinds of life here, okay? You can head over to Colossae Church where my friend Justin's just started a church plan over there and they're doing great. There are so many great things going on. Until you have concerns about those churches too. And a few years later, you just move on to the next church and the next church. Friends, if you do that, you will not form the deep relationships and experience the family that God is calling us to. What if I get a new job and it's out of the, out of the area? It's out of state. That's obviously a reason to leave one church and join another, right? How come that's not on the list? Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's a good reason to leave a church. Here's the reason I didn't put it on the list. Not that that can never be a good reason to leave a church. But here's the thing, if, I'm gonna, if I get a job offer in, in another community or another part of town or another state and I'm going to have to move, should I take that job if I'm a Christian? Well, maybe. There's a lot of questions I need to ask in order to make that determination. But as it relates to what we're saying this morning, may I be so bold as to suggest, if you're a Christian, that one of the top questions, not just a question, but one of the top questions you should be asking in that case is, if we move as a family to this new place, is there a vibrant, gospel-centered, discipleship-oriented church that we can join and be a part of? Do you even know that? Or am I just assuming that that will somehow work itself out? Here's the point. You and your family will gain far more from being in a gospel-centered, discipleship-oriented church than you will gain from earning an extra $25,000 a year or another bedroom on your house. What's your vision for your life and for your family? Jesus wants you to experience family in a biblically faithful church. And by the way, just so you know, we follow our own uh, advice. Uh, my family's about to send a daughter off to college next year. All of her choices were out of the area, and one of the major things we were looking for when we were doing college visits is what churches are right near campus, how biblically faithful are they, and how well do they work to integrate college students who aren't going to be living there 12 months out of the year into the life of a church. That's an important thing to consider. Finally, one other thing that's not on my list that very commonly comes up. What if there's just not enough people at this church that are like me? I like this church, but there's nobody my age. Isn't that a good reason to leave a church? Or there's nobody my kid's age. Isn't that a good reason to leave a church and find another one? Or there aren't people that like the same stuff I like, so we can't really do a lot of life together. Well, friends, it is, it's great if there, you're in a church where there's a lot of people your age. Or if, you know, like if your thing is knitting and the church has a knitting group, so you can do the thing you love with other people in the church and build relationships around it. That is a wonderful thing. That is very cool. No question. That's valuable. But it won't make you a greater follower of Jesus and it won't sustain your soul. Not by itself. Remember, we're not looking for churches that conform to us. We're looking for churches that will conform us to the gospel to discipleship, and to real community. That's what will nourish your soul. Now, for the sake of time, I need to turn the corner and head for home. So let me just say this. I know in this flyover of why a formal commitment to a church is important and how that helps us experience the family that God intended us to experience, I'm sure, in fact, I hope, we've raised more questions than we've answered. 
I'm pretty sure that's going to be the case. I hope it is, actually. I hope, as a congregation, we'll continue to talk about those questions this week in our community life groups, around our kitchen tables as families, and over coffee with pastors and elders and other church members. But, but I want to end, I don't want to end before I just say this one last thing. My one concern in preaching a sermon like this, my one concern is that no matter what I say or don't say, a lot of us will hear, oh, I get the bottom line of the sermon. I should go to church more often. That's, that's the point, right? I mean, that's the bottom line takeaway. I'm not as faithful as I should be, and I should be more faithful. I should commit more. I should be a better person. And I, this, this is a kick in the pants. That's what this is this morning, right? God, I hope not. So let me end this way. We already know because we're centered on the gospel or try our hardest to be that we only get so far by trying. The point of a sermon like this is not, you should, you should, so do it. That won't change your life. That'll just make you miserable. In fact, Jesus is the only one who ever was perfectly faithful to God's call and to his Father. The Savior we worship, Jesus, is the only one who made the perfectly, the only perfectly selfless, the only perfectly mission-driven sacrifice, the only God-centered choice when he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died and he prayed, Father, if there's any way I can do something other than what you're calling me to, let it be, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he endured all all the way, not just through the risk of pain, but through pain. And not even just through danger, but through death itself, to stay faithful to the calling that his father had put on his life. I'm not that faithful. I doubt you are either. But Jesus was. And as a result, he has made it possible for, be, for us to be united to God as our father. That's where this whole thing started, remember? Jesus' faithfulness made it possible for us to be God's family in the first place. That is a beautiful reality. We desperately need it, and it is guaranteed to us because Jesus was the faithful servant I could never be. So no, the message is not you should, you should. The message is, friends, if you are a Christian this morning, enter into the experience of family that Jesus died to give us. It's not you should, it's who wouldn't want to. Because this is who our Savior is. And there's nothing we will face as we enjoy his family that is greater than what he faced to create it. We have no need to fear. So as we conclude this morning, let's look to Jesus. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us as we get to sing to him in just a moment. I want to encourage us to look to Jesus, to, to let his sacrifice move you. Don't think about what you should do with church. Think about your Lord who made it possible for you to be part of God's family and what he endured to do so. Let that sacrifice move you and let his dream of family compel you to forsake our natural self-serving ways that we all have, it's in us, and say, I'm done with that, and to fully join in to the experience of this family and church. Father, thank you for the joy of what you've created. 
I pray that it would be experienced here in our church more deeply than ever before for our good and for your glory. Amen.